You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. With that, today we begin the exposition of 2 Timothy, and we're calling this series, which is going to last us um, a few months, Lord willing, we're calling it The Good Fight. We're very expectant for this series and how the Holy Spirit's going to use it. The good fight, the good fight, you know, um, considering all the different kind of fighting that's surrounding, uh, surrounding us right now and around us in our day in different areas and different nations and across this world. And I think if we're honest too, the temptation for fighting to happen within us in our own flesh at various times and ways in the day that we live in as well. The, the, the design of this letter is to remind us of what is actually worth fighting for. There is a good fight. But there's also a very bad fight. There's a worthless fight. There's a temporal fight. And we think of just even right now as we begin this series, such a point of wisdom because there are so many people placing all their energy in that which just withers, won't last, just fades. Think of all the people that are giving their lives for that which again in the end is just, it's just up in a puff of smoke. It's gone. It's here now and gone the next day. So many people are fighting a fight of worthlessness. They're, they're, they're striving with all they got to achieve something that will not last beyond this world. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, there's an eternal fight. There's a good fight, a blessed fight, a great fight. And that is the fight we're called to, reminded of, again, the context of 2 Timothy is that Paul's in prison. These are tough days for Paul. He is in Rome. He is in prison, as I said, a dark, likely a dark, lonely, cold dungeon. He's in chains. He's awaiting his execution. The end is near for Paul, but he also knows this, that glory is also near. Now, Paul on a bad day is packed with clarity and urgency. So imagine then as he awaits his final moments and he writes to his, his young child, Timothy, he considers to be a son in the Lord. Imagine the clarity and the urgency that Paul would have as he writes this letter. Many commentators call 2 Timothy Paul's last will and testament. So you have here the power of the words of a dying man And you could say here, he saves his best for last in terms of his intimacy and desire to pour what he has into Timothy with his final days. It just, again, it heightens us in the context of how important this epistle is and how important it is for us right now. Second Timothy is located in what are called the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles are 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. These are letters written with intentional spiritual leadership to young men, Timothy and Titus, yet they are fully designed to be read privately and publicly in the communities that these young men reside within, as we even did today. Timothy is one of Paul's most trusted companions, a young man filled with potential and promise. And it's here then that Paul is pouring out his heart to Timothy. He's desiring him to fight for what actually matters. Among the themes that we just heard in this letter, Paul is exhorting Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight. Fight the fight to fan into flame your giftedness in God. Uh, Fight the fight. Don't waste your life, Timothy. 
Don't just spend your days on nothing. Fight the fight to make your life count, the one life that you have. Paul's saying, Timothy, fight the fight of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Fight to persevere in suffering. Fight for the the word of God, Timothy. Fight for the word that will last forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, Timothy, but the word of God stands forever. Timothy, fight for the light that is found in Jesus Christ. Fight to be filled with the strength of the grace of the Lord God Almighty, the grace only he can give. Timothy, fight for that. Don't fight for the strength of the world that's just fleeting. Fight for the strength found eternally in Jesus Christ. Timothy, fight again through the good days and the bad days. Fight to preach God's word when it's in season and especially when it's out season. Timothy, fight through those who want to be told what they want to hear through itching ears. Fight to be truthful. Fight to be a man of integrity. Timothy, fight for righteousness. Fight for holiness. Fight for that which lasts. Timothy, fight as a good soldier. Never give up, Timothy. Never give up. He says, I'm in prison. My day is done. I'm about to go to be in glory with heaven. Timothy, you don't give up either. Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Because Timothy, it will be so worth it in the end. You will never regret one moment you spend in fighting the good fight of the gospel for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same challenge that Paul gives to Timothy is what God, by his spirit, gives to us now. This call reigns over here. And by the way, in the room, that's awesome. Those in overflow, what's up? So good to see you. So good to know you're here. I love that, just about over there somewhere in our building. Those watching online right now, so glad you're here right now too. God, bringing us together to be reminded of the fight, the fight that is worth fighting for. So in many ways, Paul, he's about to die Here's an awesome call of the Christian life. He's about to die well. He's about to die very well. And he urgently wants Timothy to do the same. Paul is, 2 Timothy, Paul's passing the baton. His time has come and he knows I'm going to pass the baton and he needs the next generation to pick it up and continue on. And because of the faithfulness, like young men like Timothy, is in part why we are here today to do the same. Amazing. All those who have gone before us. And that's why then our theme verse for this entire series, right here on the screen again, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. By the way, you want a goal for your life right now? Here you go. You're welcome. Right here. You want a goal for your life. Like, what should I do? Do this, man. If there's anything you do in life, if this is your number one main goal, to fight the good fight of the gospel, to finish the race in Jesus Christ, and to keep the faith in him, there is nothing else you need to get. In our world, we prop up and lift up the rich, the famous, the celebrities, all those who have millions and billions of dollars and all this power and all this influence and all these followers. But always remember, always remember, those people, if that's their only goal, they'll be celebrated now. But in the end, all their achievements add up to nothing. Yet you give me the poorest, lowliest, lowliest woman or man in the, in the deepest slums of this earth, in whatever country you choose, you give me that person who is absolutely nothing, begging for food on a daily basis, living literally in rags and covered in dirt. If that man or woman has faith in Jesus Christ, their achievements were eternally, eternally overcome any earthly achievements by any great celebrity man or woman. That's the power of the gospel. When that becomes your only goal for all of eternity, you can say, 
that which I sought after, I had nothing here. I have everything for all of eternity. That's the message and the power and the hope that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul wants for Timothy. Loved ones, as we start our series today, let me ask you this. What's your fight plan right now? What are you fighting for? What are you fighting for? What's got your heart? What's got your passion? What's got your motivation? What are you going after? Why? Why are you fighting for that? What are you fighting for? What's your fight plan? What's got your incentive going in that direction? What has grabbed your concentration, your affections? What's got your wallet? What are you fighting for? This series is used to get us on God's fight plan, the good fight, the right fight, the blessed fight. And with that, we begin. I'm excited, you know, I just, I was thinking about God's word is always relevant, always. Every week, every month, every year, every decade, every century of all time, because it's God's word. Yet, the application and sometimes the meaning of God's word can change in terms of how it relates to our lives. I was thinking, imagine we did this series a year ago. It would have been great. It would have been awesome. But think of now one year later and all that we just have lived through and are living through and how much more then certain themes will pop out and apply to our and get our attention more than maybe they would have a year. It would have been great a year ago, but it's maybe different today because of all that we're living in. And I pray God will use that extraordinarily, wonderfully within all our lives. So again... Obviously, Bible's open. This is an introduction message today. We're going to look at, at two verses, the first two verses. Do you think you can get a sermon out of two verses? Well, we're praying so, right? We're praying so. The first two verses, I'm going to read it, and then I want to pray for us as we go here. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, I just ask so much right now. You will use your word to encourage, to correct, to train us in righteousness. Oh God, be so glorified. Work among us today. Give strength to your servants. Lead us. Show us. Speak to us, we pray, together whether here, whether in overflow, whether watching online, Lord, one church for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you agree, you can say amen, amen. All right, so we're gonna jump right in. The good fight. We're seeking to start off this good fight, be reminded of this good fight. The good fight begins with this, number one, point number one, a life dedicated to God's will. The good fight begins with a life dedicated to God's will. Now, from the very first verse of this book, the Holy Spirit is providing a compass to get back on the path of God's will. So what I love right now is that no matter kind of where you are, where you've been, you're maybe here right now, maybe again, overflow, watching online, and you've been, you've been straying from God's will. God meets you where you are right now. God brings his word to you, and he's about to show you a map and a compass in order to get back on his will in order to live his life and be blessed by him. That's why church is so important. This is what we're doing right now together. From the very first verse, this is what Paul does for Timothy. 
Notice Paul's not distracted. Paul's laser focused. Paul's not uncertain. He's totally filled with certainty. He's not waffling. He's disciplined with conviction here. Right from verse 1. And he starts this letter to young Timothy by showing Timothy the map of God for his own life. Timothy, this is where I've been. This is, this is where I am. This is where I'm going. And he wants Timothy to do that. Timothy, I want you to get God's map for your life now to make sure you're going in the right direction as well. See, you can look at verses 1 and 2 as you read this. And you go, oh, it's a greeting. He, Paul always says that. It's a greeting. Next. You can do that. It's a greeting, yes, but it is a bedrock of foundational truth. That's what happens here in verses 1 and 2. I'm excited to show you why. So this is already an important moment for us. So many in our world wandering aimlessly. Maybe there's, maybe there's someone, a random person, not random to God, but has been brought to watch this online from home and you're devastated and lost and confused and upset and fearful and hopeless. And yet here you are to be met by God that his word might meet you where you are to show you the path of life, eternal life, found in Jesus Christ. Paul's not wandering aimlessly. Paul is the exact opposite. He knows exactly where he is and again, where he is going and where he's been. That's such a, it's such a powerful way to live, to know where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. You know, so often we use Google Maps. Google Maps is obviously very helpful, things like that. And you punch in the coordinates and it tells you where to go. And that's good. Use it all the time. It's very helpful. But at the end of the day, those things are helpful, but they're temporal. It's temporal. Google Maps is helpful for now, but it can never lead you to eternal life. What if you had God's map that led you to eternal life found in Jesus Christ? Now that's a map you should check out. And so as much as you Google Maps and you punch in coordinates today, what God is doing with his word, you open up God's word and all of a sudden this is God's map. And this map doesn't show you to some temporal location. This map shows you to eternal life. It shows you to heaven. It shows you how to get to the entrance of the heavenly kingdom. This map shows you where to go for glory. This map shows you how to be forgiven of sins. God's map shows you that Jesus Christ is Savior and Rescuer and the one who takes us from death to life, from darkness to light. This is God's map right here. And the coordinates we have today, punching into God's word, is 2 Timothy 1 and 2. And there's so many coordinates in this book, but whenever you open this, you are now on God's map and he is leading you to everlasting life. That's what's happening right now as we open up God's word. Google Maps, fine. God's map, awesome. Awesome. And this is what we get to do together. So some of you are like, okay, I'm kind of following what you're saying, but I don't totally understand. What do you mean I don't really see this map stuff? Well, if you look at verse 1, Paul gives his past, present, and future location in verse 1. Let me explain it this way on the screen for you, okay? Paul gives his past starting point when he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Okay, so the first word in 2 Timothy, Paul, as opposed to Saul. Even right there, we see Saul of Tarsus is now Paul, an indication of the transforming power upon Paul's life by Jesus Christ. Think about that. Paul, the persecutor of Christians, the hater of Jesus. Jesus met Paul, chose Paul, regenerated Paul, cleansed Paul, forever changed by the will of God. 
This is Paul. Paul, an apostle, listen, by the will of God, he's like, Timothy, I know where I began and I know where I am. And think, all of us saved in Jesus Christ. This is where life truly began for us. It's so important for you and I to remember who we were before Christ. To remember the place we were. The way we were destroying our lives apart from Jesus. Paul does this all the time in his epistles. He refers back to his former life to remind him and his readers of the glory of his present life in Jesus Christ. He does this all the time to help people understand the grace, the mercy, the compassion that Christ gave in his forgiveness that he might be used and to rejoice again in the reality of the glory that he has saved in Jesus. Now that's a pin, that's a dropped pin on your map you should look to often. Like the song we sang today, Glorious Day. It's just remembering, man, uh, the, the, the old made new. When I saw you and then out of the grave I ran for Jesus. I mean, it's just an awesome song to remember that, yeah, I was dead. And now I'm alive. Honestly, you should pull your map out often of when you were saved, refer to it, tell others about it, remind yourself of the joy of God's salvation when he came and he literally uh, rescued you from death and hell and eternal separation, not by any works of yourself, not by any doing or merit, all because of grace and love. Amen is right, amen, all right? And that's what's happening, what Paul is doing to Timothy. He's like, listen, I remember where I was. Now watch this, his present position now. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And you're like, wait, wait, time out, time out, time out, time out. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, an apostle. I heard about this guy. He was like the number one enemy of the church. I heard about this guy. He like oversaw the murder of the first martyrs of Christ followers. I remember this guy, like he was, again, enemy number one against Jesus Christ. That guy became an apostle? What? Like sent out, like only like, you know, like 13 apostles, like ever, like, like saw that, that guy is an apostle of Jesus Christ? Like, how can that be? I mean, a guy would be like, well, that's like, that's like the leading commander of the opposing army who you all are fighting against and is viciously trying to kill you, it's taking that guy and making him the five-star general of your army? What? What? Has that ever happened in the history of the world? That someone so viciously opposed to one movement would become the leading figure and highest general in the other? It happened with Paul. And you're like, what kind of grace is that? Like, how does that happen? What kind of love is that? How did he get there? What kind of mercy is that? That a hater of Christ would be given exclusive apostleship. There's no more apostles today. Not since Paul. What a, what a place on his map to show Timothy. That by the utter grace, mercy, love, peace of God, I've been given, look at right here, to me, on, on the map, I'm an apostle today by the will of God because of the love and grace of Christ Jesus. Now, the rest of us are saying today, well, I'm not an apostle. Yeah, but are you saved in Jesus Christ? 
do you know, for those of us who are genuinely alive in Jesus Christ, we've been set free from our sin. We have been forgiven by grace through faith. That means you and I saved in Jesus Christ. It wasn't that long ago that we were enemies of God, Romans 5. We were haters of the gospel. We were lovers of self. We were swimming in our sin. We were elevating ourselves as God. We were unbelievers. We are filled with unbelief. We rejected the glory of God because we were filled with the glory of self. And by some means we can't explain, we were saved and redeemed and chosen and cleansed and adopted into the family of God. Are you kidding me? How does that happen? What kind of grace is that? What kind of mercy is that? What kind of love is that? That you and I could go from, again, haters of Christ and totally dead to now in the family as co-heirs of Jesus Christ, redeemed because of what he's done for us and not anything we did? How is that possible? And that's a map you got to pull out often and point my present position as adopted into the family of God. Paul's like, Timothy, man, you got to look. This is where I was. This is where I am. And now this, this is where I'm going, his future destination. Future destination, look at verse 1. According to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Amazing to me, okay? So the blessing of life in Christ Jesus today. Like, when you and I are genuinely saved in Christ, you go from blindness to sight. You go from death to life. You are awakened. You are filled with purpose. You have hope. The hope of glory. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, become temples of the Holy Spirit. He's living within us. We sense it, but at the same time, we have the promise of life in Christ now, and yet we know there's so much more to come. It's the already, the already of our salvation in Christ, saved, set free, longing, but at the same time, we know we're not there yet. Maybe you had another week like I did, where there's so much groaning over this world. This week, I was groaning over the sin in my heart, groaning over the curse of sin across our world, groaning over the brokenness that sin results in relationships and heartache, groaning over health crises and illnesses and, and overcoming people. Again, physically, it's the result of sin, groaning for something greater, groaning over conflict, groaning over tension, groaning over hate, groaning over how broken our world is. I have the promise of life in Jesus Christ, but there's something still so much more to come. And it's right to groan for these things, Second Corinthians and Romans chapter 8 says so beautifully. This is, this is Paul. He's about to be executed... And yet the promise of life in Jesus Christ that resides in him. The promise of life. He understands what he's been given, but he knows, he knows how much more there is to come. What a powerful way to live as well. What a powerful way that Paul is describing right here. You see what Paul's doing for Timothy? I wonder who needs to hear this today too. And if you look at Verse 1, what, what phrase occurs twice in just a few words? Take a look there with me. 
Don't let me do all the work for you today. What phrase occurs twice there? It's the phrase, Christ Jesus. And then notice one more time in verse 2. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Three times in two verses, Paul's laying out his map. And Jesus Christ is at the center every single time. Okay, here's what happens, okay? So you walk around in life and you're looking at your own worldly map. You'll get lost. You'll get confused. You'll smash your head against the wall. You'll be depressed at the end because it can never satisfy. Look here, look here, look here. You open up God's map. This is the map of God, his word. And God's map becomes a compass. And every single time you open up God's map and have this compass open and ready, every single time this points you to Jesus Christ. You close the book, you're lost, confused, wandering, hopelessness, miserable. Then all of a sudden you open up the word of God, the truth of God, the light of God, the glory of God, and you see this book. This book always points to Jesus Christ. It is the compass that goes, again, goes to Jesus Christ every time. It always points to Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and life. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. He is the one. You open up the book, and if it's sincerely done with authenticity, it always points you directly to Jesus Christ. And whenever you are pointed to Jesus Christ, you will never, ever be let down. You will never stare in the face of Jesus Christ and feel dissatisfied. He is perfect, he is awesome, he is life, and he is glory. Whenever you open up God's map and the compass points to Jesus Christ, loved ones, listen, this is the only way you can fight the good fight. Anywhere else you're led, you'll be led astray if you're not led towards Jesus Christ. The only way we fight this good fight is by opening God's word, looking at his map, and letting his compass point us to Jesus Christ. Question, where are you today? What map are you holding? Where is it taking you? Why are you going there? What fight plan are you on? The good, listen, the good fight is God's will. God's will is the good fight. The good fight begins with a life dedicated to the will of God. Secondly, we see this. You want to fight the good fight? Then you will have a love for the next generation. A love for the next generation. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, he says, To Timothy... My beloved child. So amazing here. Within second, this is a theme we will unpack for weeks. One of the hard, hard part of this letter, the heart of it is there's an example of love and care and the equipping of the next generation. Again, Paul in prison, passing the baton, about to die, probably about to have his head cut off, passing the baton, deeply, deeply wanting Timothy to fight the good fight that he is about to finish. Amazing here. You know, one of the emphases in 2 Timothy is the pleading of Paul for Timothy to overcome shame. To overcome shame in the face of such an intimidating culture. Several times, Paul will exhort Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel or of Christ, which indicates the difficulty of the situation Timothy resided within and also the reality of the culture and the temptation of Timothy to be timid, if not ashamed again, of the reality of the faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, how this is so needed in our day, the same challenge to not be ashamed of the gospel. 
Let me just stop here for a second and just unpack the reality of what we're just talking about here and Paul's heart for the next generation. I love that so much. So when this church began way back in 2003, just a small group of people gathered. At that point, one point, there's eight of us, four couples. One of, the, one of the other couples was Greg and Debbie McFarlane. I remember sitting down with Pastor Greg, of course, our executive pastor now. And even this week, talking to him and just reflecting upon kind of where we began. And so when this church began in 2003, I was, I was 29 years old. What happened? Greg was 28. 28! No clue what was ahead. No understanding of what you know, ultimately was going to happen, except for, for those of us there, we had a dream and a vision and a conviction and a calling as young, I can say that right now, I was young, young back then, as young men, deeply, deeply, deeply desirous to pursue the will of God, the calling of God, the cost of God, whatever it was, to pursue God and love God because the world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and so many people are floundering and to be filled with God's spirit and for lives to be changed and back then without knowing what was happening, saying, God, I'm in, I'm in, whatever you want to do, here we are, send us. And now 16, 17 years later, I'm not 29 now. I just turned 46 recently. Hard to believe, eh? I look so much older than that. <laughs> but I look back and I say there's been at least one or two generations now that are now coming up. And Lord willing, there's some time left, but then to understand though, just like in that case, the Lord grabbed the hold of a couple of young men who really didn't know much but knew they loved Christ and wanted to serve him. That the Lord needs to do this again and again and again with young men and women who will put aside their self-interest and put aside their selfish ambition that will put aside the, the lures of this world and put aside the temptation of the flesh and put aside popularity and put aside the fear of man and put aside again the present fulfillment of this or that and take up the mantle and the calling and the conviction to serve Jesus Christ with all their lives. And God's doing it and he needs to do it. For young men and women, maybe here right now, maybe listening online, maybe in the overflow, for young men and women to get a vision beyond video games and a vision beyond social media and a vision beyond self selfishness and a vision beyond physical pleasure and a vision of eternal realities found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul so desperately wants it to continue in what he's pouring into Timothy and we want to unpack in a special way in the weeks to come a similar desire of investing and calling forth the next generation passionately called for the call of Christ. But you look at, you look at our context in 2 Timothy. Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be. In, in, in chapter 1, three times that's said. Three times in some forms. Don't be ashamed. Think of the temptation in our day of all of us and particularly young men and women to be ashamed of following Jesus Christ. To be ashamed as the societal pressures go against orthodox biblical Christianity. When issues of sexuality come up, when issues, again, of, 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 of morality, when, when, when issues of truth, when issues of creation, 
when issues of righteousness and holiness, and at that moment you have to decide, am I in or am I out when it comes to Jesus Christ? I feel it too. Second Timothy has a lot to say to you and me in this regard. And listen, when you want to fight the good fight, you got to have a love for the next generation. A love for the next generation. You know one of the greatest ways to break through stagnant, maybe, maybe some of you are feeling stagnant right now in your faith. You know the things about um, a stagnant pool of water? It just sits there. And as the water doesn't move, it sits there. It becomes often dirty. It becomes unclean. It becomes often contaminated, bacteria, unsafe. It can become dangerous. It becomes gross. A stagnant pool of water. But then the water starts to flow. And the water starts to move. And all of a sudden, the, the, the cleansing process, you see a river that's flowing. It's not, not stagnant. It is filled with life. It is what you drink from for resources and vitality and health. It's the opposite of being stagnant. One of the greatest ways to break through stagnancy in your life, being stagnant, one of the greatest ways to break through this is to pour into others is to give of yourself in love for the equipping and the discipling of others. It's one of the greatest ways to break through the stagnant Christian life. It's the design of God in discipleship and love. Who can you pour into today? This is a season, man, we'll be calling out. This is a season, a challenge for fathers, mothers, grandparents, friends, relationships in Christ, groups, leaders, This is a season for all of us to understand the calling that God has placed upon us that we can be a Paul to a Timothy as we have been so blessed by Paul's in our lives as well. And just to give you a bit of a preview on this, one of the things we're trying to do is we want to refuse to be stagnant, especially in our day. I'm gonna put up here a scripture memory challenge that we're gonna have as we go through 2 Timothy. So one of the things we're gonna do is we're gonna take advantage of this beautiful short epistle and we're going to have a scripture memory challenge through our whole church. Every age, every ministry, whatever it is. In some ways it's simple. We're going to have level one, two, and three. Level one will be like the top ten verses in Second Timothy that we have decided and chosen. Top ten passages, verses. And throughout this series, the next couple of months, you will choose to memorize ten verses. Okay, Level one, that's good. I think you can do better than that. Then there's level two. It's going to be more chunks of verses and more expansion of that and have probably, you know, again, a good section of 2 Timothy. And level three is going to be the entire book. That many of us will be called with the challenge of memorization of all of 2 Timothy. Just a couple pages in your Bible. I'm really excited, but we're going to, we're going to um, have many, many different uh, scripture memory aids and we've already broken down all we've recorded the, the whole book and in little bite-sized chunks we have a playlist that you can be sent out to that that's all i just want to make you aware this is one of the greatest things you met families and friends and groups and all of us living in second timothy you can take the word hide it in your heart and have it with you for the rest of your life large chunks of passages that i have memorized throughout my life are with me again 20 years later 
It's just amazing. Why don't we do it more? Well, we're going to do it now. I encourage you, man. Take level one, awesome. Level two, fantastic. Level three, God bless you. Let's go. More to come on that. God's going to use all of that and we might love each other and a love for the next generation. The good fight begins with a life dedicated to God's will, a love for the next generation, and thirdly and finally this, a longing for God's provision. A longing for God's provision. Here's the bottom line. I want to be brief here, but this is, this is so good. The bottom line here is you cannot fight the good fight on your own. Impossible. Have you figured that out yet? It's impossible. Look what Paul says here, okay? You can read verse 2 as a greeting or like a filler. This is the word of God, man. Every single word counts. Every dot and iota is put here by the Holy Spirit for a purpose. Look what Paul says to Timothy. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace. Let's break those down quickly here on the screen for you. What is God's grace here? God's grace is God's divine resources. God's grace is God's divine resources. Can we put that on the screen up? There we go, awesome. God's grace, divine resources. If you look at chapter two, verse two, Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We must receive the provisional strength and grace and power of God to fight this good fight. We can't do it on our own. We need his grace. God's grace has saved us. And God's grace allows us to continue to empower us. Timothy, you must have God's grace. Secondly, God's mercy. What is that? It's divine compassion. Divine compassion. You know what God's mercy does? God's mercy lifts us from our misery. The mercy of God is to know God's tenderheartedness. It's God's mercy that meets us in our time of distress. As Lamentation says, his mercies are new every morning. Mercy is God's help for the discouraged and the stumbling. I wonder who's here right now. You are discouraged and stumbling. May his mercy meet you now. We need his mercy to fight the good fight. And then thirdly, God's peace. God's peace is divine tranquility. Do you love that word, tranquility? God's peace. And this makes sense, right? Where there's God's grace and God's mercy, there will be God's peace. There always will be. When you are aware of the grace of God and the mercy of God, then you understand your nearness to God and rest in God. And this will result in God's peace again upon your life. Consider how impossible it is to fight the good fight apart from these provisions of God in grace and mercy and peace. This is the fight plan, loved ones. What fight are you fighting? Is it God's or is it yours? Now think about that. Paul says to Timothy, grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Where do these three things ultimately meet? Grace, mercy, and peace. They ultimately meet and are seen at the cross of Jesus Christ. 